0: Welcome to the Alien Beer Podcast. I'm Chrissy Garrison, and I will be reading my science fiction stories to you. The Multiverse Blues, Chapter 6, 3220 Blues. Jules and the crew of Hope's Tour find themselves beset by xenophobic protesters as they set up for a show at the new Louis Coliseum in the Gamma Earthverse. Before I begin, I'd like to talk about the masks the Gamma Earth people wear. I didn't write them into the story because of the masks we're wearing because of the pandemic. Not many people were wearing them at the time I started that part. Funny enough, I saw an article today that some men are refusing to wear floral-patterned homemade masks, if that's all that are available. A friend who makes masks for others commented on the article. She said she'd initially only made plain white masks and was told by some women that they'd buy from her when she had something prettier to offer. I guess I called it. Chapter 6, 3220 Blues Arch off, arch off, no aliens, no aliens, float off, float off. The protesters' chants drew passersby to join the growing crowd. Babs hissed to my ear, Jules, take cover, and shoved me towards the cargo ramp. I stumbled but caught myself. Jasmine passed me to zip up into the cargo bay. Babs walked right up to the lead protesters, her arms wide. Shouting at them, back off Dribbler joined her, waving his hands. Cool it, dudes. It's okay, I promise. I'm from here. These are good people. They're with me. Contrary to Bab's instructions, I took a few paces forward behind the other two. Behind me, Ms. Davenport raised her voice to be heard over the crowd. Missus Fox, can you please do something? I heard the crackle of a radio and Rebecca Fox's voice shouting security. We've got problems at the loading dock. A large man in a brick red suit threw his sign to the pavement and puffed himself up so big I fully expected buttons to fly off his shirt. You back off, aliens. You don't belong here. Dribbler got up in his face so close I thought he might bump chests with a guy. We're just here to put on a show. We're here by request. A little elderly woman with a Devil's Go Home sign slipped around Dribbler, and I held up my hands, palms toward her, and shook my head. She took a swing at me with the poster board sign, forcing me to jump back a step. Mrs. Fox appeared at my side, shouting at the crowd in general, asking them to disperse. The crowd paused, then resumed chanting. The large man in the brick red suit shoved Dribbler backwards into the elderly woman. The woman fell in a heap at my feet, her sign spinning off to hit Mrs. Fox. Enraged shouts erupted from the crowd, and I heard someone yell, Aliens, knock the old lady over! I leaned down to offer a hand to help the lady up, but she smacked my hand away. Blood trickled down from her nose, staining her polka-dotted mask. She shouted, Get your floaty paws off of me, you pervert! This did not go over at all well with the crowd, who began to advance on us in a line. Babs became a blur. She kicked a man in the shins and folded a woman in half by punching her in the gut. Behind me, Marcy shouted at Babs to stop fighting back. The weight of Marcy's taser in my sweater pocket gave me ideas, but at that moment, all I could do was hold animal terror in check to keep me from fleeing. I backed up toward the cargo ramp as Dribbler and Babs were forced to retreat. Something flew past my head. Another something, too. Then, stars appeared in the daytime, and my head rang as I sat down hard on the ground without meaning to. Dazed, I scrambled up onto all fours to get away, and I happened upon a rock half the size of a baseball. A reddish rock. A wet, reddish rock. Half of everything went red, as something hot and wet trickled into my left eye. Someone stepped on my leg, and I let out a yelp. Someone else screamed at me and brandished a stick with tatters of a sign attached. I cringed and held up my hands to ward off the attack. Just then, there came a voice of such clarity and intensity, that it cut through the terrible din of the rioting mob. A wonderful, heart-rending voice, weaving a song of such sadness, my heart broke even as the world swam around me. Darkness crowded in from the edges of my vision like dark static. As the lights went out, my last sight was of the crowd turning as one to look as hope stood atop La Esperanza, her arms wide, a sunlit silvery ground blowing back behind her in the wind like wings. I awoke to the soft orange glow of a flying saucer hovering above my face. The light bathed me in warmth and covered my skin with a somewhat pleasant electric tingle. My head throbbed, but my vision focused. The glowing disc couldn't be a flying saucer, because behind it was someone I knew, so it had to be a tiny flying saucer or something else entirely. A gentle song in an alien language accompanied the soft warbling of the healing device. The song rose like a summer breeze. It called out in long notes punctuated by rapid-fire clicking and woodwind-like susurrations. A pair of dark, wide-set, kindly eyes peered at me over a muzzle full of tiny, sharp teeth, curved in a merry smile. Hope's hand caressed my cheek as she sang to me, Oh, Jules, no more catching rocks with your head. You are quite brave, but you aren't invulnerable. You will be fine, but don't scare us like that. I couldn't help myself. I giggled. I'll try not to. Just thought it might make Dribbler feel better if someone else got knocked upside the head. Hope switched off the device and cool air washed over my face. I sat up, though this earned me a critical look from Hope. I found myself alone with her in the main cabin of the bus. Well, not completely alone. Zamboni stood nearby, holding a medical bag so Hope could stow the healing disc. Maybe she read my thoughts. The rest of the crew are surveying the Coliseum. The protesters left, and Rebecca Fox has promised us her security will keep them at a distance if they should return. You should rest another hour or so before joining them. How long have I been out? Oh, not too long, maybe 20 minutes. Part of that was my doing. I didn't want you moving around before you had checked you for a concussion. I started to climb to my feet. But the lights and sound... Hope placed a gentle hand on my shoulder and guided me to sit back down. She finished my sentence for me. Are in the capable hands of Harlan and Dribbler. You can join them soon enough. Now, my friend, you should rest or perhaps sleep. No compulsion accompanied her singing voice this time, as far as I could tell. But remembering the size of the rock that hit me, I decided to take her advice. Hope stood and told me she needed to warm up for the show. She gave some instructions to Zamboni, then slipped out the door. Zamboni stepped towards me with that funny three-footed gait. He handed me a bottle of water. I thanked him and sipped from it. In that moment, the icy cold water seemed like the best thing I'd ever tasted. The robot stood nearby, as enigmatic as ever. I decided to attempt conversation with him again. Hey, Zamboni, the robot replied. Greetings, Jules. Where do you come from? Zamboni paused a long moment before answering. I am from a world designated by the Arch Authority as Zeta Prime. What's Zeta Prime like? Zamboni said. It's like your Beta Earth, but with most technologies far in advance, and far fewer humans. Intrigued, I asked, are there many other robots there like yourself? The robot paused long enough for me to consider repeating the question, but answered, There are more artificial life forms such as myself in Zeta Prime than there are humans. No two Zeta Prime artificial life forms are alike in the way that no two humans are alike. Each has his own form and consciousness. I'll admit, I'm sensitive where gender and pronouns are concerned, so I had to ask. You said each has his own form. Do you mean to say all artificial life forms are referred to with male pronouns? No, in that case... His was used as a generic pronoun. Many so-called robots are designated with feminine or neutral pronouns. Lesser intelligences are often referred to as it. I chose masculine pronouns for myself in the first year of my activation. Impressed, I said, that's fantastic. I've chosen they-them pronouns for myself. Do you understand that designation? Yes, I will use that designation for you in the future, Jules Martin. Thank you, Zamboni. Our warm moment over... The robot had no reply, and returned to guarding the door of the bus. I drowsed for an hour or so, but became fidgety and tried standing up and pacing around the cabin. Nothing wibbled or wobbled in a way that it shouldn't, so I ventured outside. When I caught sight of people walking around, I remembered to don my mask. At the rear of La Esperanza, I encountered Dribbler rolling his drum kit down the ramp on a dolly. Once his burden sat on level ground, he fussed over me, examining the side of my head with concern. I blushed at the close attention, but waved him off. I'm fine, I'm fine, thanks to Hope and her healing gadget. We worked together to unload more gear to transport to the Coliseum. I don't know about Dribbler, but despite the presence of Coliseum security, it made me feel safer than working alone. Once I had the sound cables unloaded, I even asked Babs to help me unreal them, though I could have done it by myself nearly as fast. The Colosseum did not try to hide its origins. Its walls and tiered levels had clearly been fashioned of cemented together concrete chunks and other rubble. Despite this patchwork look, it had been in use for decades, and walkways had worn smooth with many years of enthusiastic use. Wooden benches, as well as a few fancier box seats, lined these tiers around most of the structure. The ground level had still more wooden benches and a few concession stands, reminding me of a bit of a Renaissance fair. The stage of the new Louis Coliseum stood at one end of an inner oval on ground level. A curved metal scaffolding arched over the stage, a rectangular metal grid hung suspended by the arch by an array of many steel cables. Can lights, a couple of spotlights, and a boom mic hung from the grid, as well as Harlan. The stage manager crawled around on top of the grid, adjusting light angles and insur- inserting gels. The crew knew their routine well, and setup went so smoothly that anything I thought to do to help put me in the way of someone else. So once the sound and light boards had been placed off in a corner of the stage, I worked on sound checks and familiarized myself with all the sliders and switches on the boards. Ms. Davenport equipped me with a headset and a two-foot-long flashlight. She and I did comms checks, and I went over the various signals for stage directions I might get from Harlan and Babs. Then she told me about the flashlight's special features. This has settings. Setting 1 is a red light, so you can see the boards without messing up any dark vision you might have and without drawing much attention to yourself. Setting 2 is a high beam flood you can use if we lose power. Setting 3 is a powerful laser pointer in case you need to direct my attention somewhere. And don't use setting 4. What's setting 4 do? It's a flash burst, a directed beam of a few million candle power. A few pulses of that will drain the battery quick. It's meant for self-defense to blind an attacker. Honestly, if anyone gets close enough for that to matter, you'll want to use setting zero. I turned the flashlight over in my hands, looking for setting zero. I don't see any. Marcy took the flashlight from me and smacked it into her opposite palm with a grin. Setting zero is using this bad boy like a nightstick. But please, don't cave anyone's heads in, no matter how aggressive they may be. We don't need a PR nightmare like that, okay? I took the flashlight as she handed it back to me. Got it. Flash bash 'em, bash em, but don't trash em. Marcy smiled and ruffled my hair. You got it, kiddo. Oh, also, keep chatter on the comm to a minimum. And if you can help it, keep your voice down. Jasmine's ears are super sensitive. You mean Jazzy's got a? on cue, the cat hopped up on the chair next to me, wearing a cat-sized headset. She stood up, tall and prim, chin up, with what looked to me like a smug expression. We went through more checks, including a dress rehearsal. Babs laid down a throaty bass line accompanying Dribbler's driving beat. Hope appeared, escorted by Jasmine, and she she picked up the mics and sang Eric Clapton's Layla. The chill air of Gamma Earth rose several degrees as Hope belted out the song. She nearly had me on my knees by the end, my insides melting like butter on her tongue. I wondered if the others ever got used to the power of Hope's singing. Personally, I hoped I never would. After that one song, Hope left the stage to pick her wardrobe for the performance. Babs and Dribbler noodled around with their instruments. Dribbler surprised me by jamming on an electric guitar while Babs switched to harmonica and then keyboards during their practice sets. Marcy even stood in for Hope on a couple of songs, and while she couldn't match the magnitude of Hope's voice, I felt certain that she could front a band on her own merit. Babs rolled her synth keyboard over to my sound light booth and pointed out some programmed effects and backing rhythms I could add if I felt comfortable. After we went over the effects, I surprised them by playing a little Professor Longhair that I'd picked up at one time. Terribly out of practice, I flushed with embarrassment compared to the professional's performance, but I got a round of applause from the crew and a few Coliseum Security people nearby. Hours passed that way. Then, all at once, people filed into the Coliseum. An electric tension built as the seats filled with people in suits, dresses, hats, and masks. The murmur of their conversations built an almost tangible wall around us. As we called out last-minute directions to each other over the comms, I smiled with the thrill of being a part of something much bigger than myself. The tension built to a crescendo, and then, at Bab's signal, I lowered the house lights all around the Coliseum, leaving us all in the reddish twilight of the setting sun. After a dramatic pause, I raised the slider for the spotlight centered on the lonely mic in the center of the stage. That was Hope's cue to appear. She didn't. Babs and Dribbler stalled on bass and drums. Jasmine yowled over the comms. Harlan cursed, backstage somewhere out of sight. Marcy called out something unintelligible, and I knew something had gone terribly wrong. Thank you for listening to the Alien Beer podcast. If you like my stories, please visit my website, sillyhatbooks.com. I publish as E. Chris Garrison, and my books may be found in paperback, ebook, and audiobook format on Amazon.com and other places. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network. Jason A. Mieske here, and I invite you to join me each Tuesday on the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors from all over the world read a sample chapter from one of their books. There's been sci-fi, westerns, horror, romance, thrillers, and even the weird, so you're sure to find your next favorite book every Tuesday on the Sample Chapter Podcast.